Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. Times get tougher even if they don't. Today is March the 16th, 2020. This is episode 2618 of the Survival Podcast. And uh, today we have Doc Bones on to talk about the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm getting a lot of questions from the audience. I'm getting a lot of inquiries from outside organizations. I actually just did an interview this morning with uh, Patty Catter from the Wake Up with Patty Catter show. I have a link in the show notes to that as well. Uh, so I went on her show to talk about covid I'm bringing somebody that knows a lot more about medicine than me, Doc Bones, uh, on to talk about COVID today and what you can do. Um, it's a good show. It's about an hour long, as usual, with a guest and uh, lots of great information. But I, I'm going to tell you there's two big takeaways from this right up front. Number one is flatten the curve, which means follow the general advice, wash your hands, social distance, etc. And... That means that you have a great deal of control over how much exposure to you, this you get and also how much of a problem you contribute to. Uh, number two, don't panic. This too shall pass. It won't last forever, so don't act like it will. And we'll get into that real deep with Bones here in a moment. Before we do that, I do want to take care of our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor today, number one today, Western Botanicals. Um, as you'll hear today, I don't think there's any magical cures for, for COVID-19 in the world of supplements or herbal medicine. But herbal medicine is something I've relied on a, a great deal throughout my whole life, and I, and I attribute a lot of, of, of my health to it. Uh, there's a lot of snake oil salesmen out there, but you're not going to get that from Western Botanicals, a real company with real people that really care about you. You can learn more about them at westernbotanicals.com. Next up, COVID is not the zombie apocalypse. You don't need to worry about stocking up on ammo because they're going to be marching on you to get Get your Twinkies, uh, but being stocked up on ammo is always a good deal, and the place I always go to do that is BulkAmmo.com, another long-term sponsor. Been with us seven or eight years, something like that now, uh, an attorney in the world of podcasting. They do do a discount for MSB members. Check them out today at BulkAmmo.com. And with that, I want to roll right on into things here with uh, Doc Bones. I'll say when we wrap up with Bones, if you usually skip the end, don't. Uh, I've got 12 points of what you can do uh, specifically, in my view, to uh, to help out uh, yourself and others when it comes to the COVID 2019-2020 pandemic. All right, folks, and with that, for uh, Pandemic Apocalypse 2020, Doc Bones is joining us today on the Survival Podcast. Bones, are you, uh, are you still kicking and living out there in South Florida? I am. I shouldn't be. I'm, I'm just sitting here drooling on my shoes. Uh, try, I'm trying to get my rocking chair going, but I don't think I have the strength to get it uh, get it moving. So anyway, since this all started, I've been trying to be a voice of common reason in this and not panic, apparently, to some people means there's nothing to worry about. Those are not the same thing. Uh, I've got you on today to talk about the current situation and, and where it's going to go, and I think both of us agree that if nothing else, it's going to look worse before it gets any better. Um, but let's start out with, as, as an MD who also has spent the last, as far as I know, at least 10 years in the world of uh, the prepper world and looking at things like this potentially occurring, how do you analyze the current situation? Where are we at right now? And you know, maybe a few things about what people should and should not be doing. All right. Well, right now we're in a situation where we have a new emerging disease or, or, or a virus. The virus is actually called SARS-CoV-2. 
And some people don't know that. Everybody thinks that the virus is called COVID, COVID-19. It's not. It's the disease that's called COVID-19 that's caused by the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And so far, it's infected about 170,000 people, 157 countries, 6,500 deaths. Now, the thing is, is that about half of these people are considered to be recovered. Half are still active. And the problem with this virus and why it's getting much more attention than, let's say, the flu is because of the active cases, 93% are considered to have mild cases, but 7% of these people are in serious or critical condition. That means they're in the hospital in need of respiratory support. Critical critical or serious condition is is critical, and it's serious. And the problem is, is that that's the number that has the potential to break a medical system. In places like Italy, where the medical infrastructure is super weak, well, the number of people needing intensive care beds has now overwhelmed the lower local facilities. They actually had to transfer people in Milan. If you know where Milan is, it's close to Switzerland, and had to transfer them down to Sicily just to find an available ventilator. That's how bad it is in Italy, and I'll bet it's worse in Iran, and I'll bet it's super bad in North Korea, which we haven't heard a thing about. Now, as far as we know, there's not one case in North Korea, yet it shares a border with China. I'll bet that it is absolute chaos there and and much worse than it is in other places where it's also chaos. You know, one of the, just real quick, one of the populations that would be highly at risk in North Korea would be the prison camps. And that, that, when I start looking at potential for major problems in the United States would be our prison system. Um, It gets in the prison system. Obviously, the biggest source of deaths in the United States right now is uh, elder care facility that it got into in Washington. I think like half the total deaths are from like one or two facilities. Yes, you're you're absolutely right. And folks that are over the age of 65 that have various kinds of medical problems, these are the guys that are going to die. Now, if you are 70 or over, your death rate is probably about 8%. If you're 80 or over, the death rate from having COVID-19 is 16%. So that's the thing that makes it different. It's important to know that influenza is still much more common than COVID-19. There are close to 100,000 seasonal flu deaths just up to this year so far, while there are only 6,500 COVID-19 deaths. So if we had 7% of flu cases that were in serious or critical condition, but even the U.S. with with a strong medical infrastructure would be totally overwhelmed. And Do so we this know, is, though, that when you say something like, you know, 7% of people over 80 or, or whatever the number was, is that, really, is that really the number of people over 80 who get COVID, or is that how many that show serious symptoms end up in a hospital? You see what I'm saying? Like, there's a difference there between... Well, when you say COVID, you're talking about people that go full blown, right? So 16% right. of people that, sh- that that go into the what they're designating as the COVID-19 disease end up in ICU, et cetera. But to me, there's probably still some segment of those people who you don't know or they assume they have a flu or something like that. Like not. So what I'm saying is just because you're 80 and you get this doesn't mean you immediately are at you're, you're going to go to the ICU and die. No, that's absolutely true. It's just that 16% of people that have wound up being identified as having COVID ah. and and 
end up dying because they, and, and I'm sure, I mean, if you have a overall population, and that includes that people that are 18 years old that ha, that are 7% in serious or critical condition, then you can just imagine what percentage of people with COVID-19 that are 80 wind up in serious or critical condition. Once they, once they're there, once they're in a ventilator, on a ventilator, those are the folks that are going to have a big chance, much more than a 16% chance in those, in that percentage of patients that winds up in the hospital. That doesn't mean that an 80 year old couldn't get an asymptomatic infection with COVID-19 or a very mild, or a very mild case of it. And, uh, I think that the case, number of cases of COVID-19 are super underestimated, probably easily by a factor of 10, probably by more. Uh, there are a lot more cases of COVID-19 that are just passed off, that we just think are, are a cold or the flu, or we just don't have any symptoms at all, so we never knew we, that we had it. Uh, and, and you know that uh, coronaviruses, uh, several of the strains of coronaviruses, there are seven total strains now with this new one, and four of those strains actually account for 15 to 25% of all common colds. Hmm. Yeah, that's what I, I, that's what I, I One of the biggest things that I've had to do, and it's actually been harmful to trying to help people be prepared here, is spend half my energy over the last month telling people to calm the F down because of, of, of misinformation. And one piece of that misinformation uh, that, that, got, that went crazy for like a couple days and then kind of just went away and no one talked about it anymore is, is right on what you just said with multiple strains. And it looks like we have multiple strains of even what they're calling COVID-19 or SARS-2 coronavirus. And that was that it had mutated to become more lethal. And when you actually looked at the data under that, it looked to me like if anything it had mutated to become less lethal because there were less cases of the milder strain um, in China. I don't know if you've read in it, read about that yet or whatever, but yes, it's there, just I one example of like good news being spun into bad news and honestly a lot of bad news being spun into good news i mean it 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 seems like there's so much misinformation here oh it's very difficult to really know exactly what's going on in terms of the number of strains of uh SARS CoV-2 or or what COVID-19 if you want to call it there are a number of different there are two strains for sure And I'm sure there are going to be more than that. Remember, this is an RNA virus. RNA viruses are constantly mutating, 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 much more than even DNA viruses do. These RNA viruses are basically, well, uh, they're prone to mutating. They Every time that they reproduce, they're not doing it as well as a DNA virus would. And so you wind up having a huge number of mutations that can occur. Luckily, most of them, those of these mutations, do absolutely nothing to the function of the virus. And indeed, sometimes uh, a mutation will make the virus less effective. But in some cases, it does make the uh, virus maybe replicate faster, maybe become a little bit more lethal. But remember, it's not for a virus, it's not good for a virus to become more lethal. It's make, make sure people. Lethal. I know what you're saying. I want to make sure people get what you mean when you say that. You mean it's not good for the virus for it to become more lethal, right? That's that's exactly right. You want the host to survive so you can continue to use it. Yeah, 
And I think that we've had a history of these types of viruses tending to mutate toward less aggressive or less lethal because it's in their... And it's hard to do this because you like I don't want to anamorphize a, a, a duck, let alone a virus, right? Um, and it's not like right. the virus is consciously aware of this, but the evolutionary pattern in nature is pretty hard set. And if an organism does better with a trait, that trait tends to pass on. And if organisms do worse with a trait, that trait tends to die off. So I think we, that's right. the other thing we'll continue to see. And that may be beneficial to us in that we're late in the game to getting this to be a, you know, a significant portion of our population dealing with it compared to China, which got the absolute first most novel, most with no awareness, and then they tried to hide it, and then they tried to deny it on top of it, and that made it worse. And even with that, I think it's a very low percentage of people in Wuhan that actually, you know, tested positive with it. When you look at the totality, like there's like well, a, the whole country, 11 million people there. The whole, right? The whole, the whole country. There are 11 million people in in the city of Wuhan. It's and and it's only the seventh largest city in the, in the country. So, uh, you ha you have a total of 80,000 cases in China even with a billion people that were at risk. And, now, of course, can you believe the numbers that came out of China? I don't know. But if those numbers really are correct, then you've got 80,000 people in a country of 1.4 billion. I mean, I, I think that we can expect a somewhat limited uh, outbreak here. But the thing is, is that, The numbers are going to be higher here than I think in China. And the reason why, there are a couple of reasons why. Number one, because we're testing a lot of people. And a lot, just about everybody that's going to demand being tested is, is going to wind up getting a test. So we're going to be doing tests, millions of tests most likely. And also we are a relatively free country, right? And, and so therefore we're a little more transparent, at least with medical issues, than places like Iran, like pla than places in China. So, so we're going to get a clearer picture of how many people really are infected with COVID. And it's probably going to be higher than what we've seen in other countries where we're only getting part of the story. Well, and like the United States is not other countries. Like we have a much more varied, um, Republican country right and i don't mean tr trump republican yes, that's, i mean that's what I... we are republican in our forms of government with states making individual decisions and we also span a large number of climate variations and you and i have been talking back channel about this i i looking at everything i can see am very hopeful and i would say my odds are higher that it would be the case than not be the case it doesn't mean it's guaranteed that warmer weather does seem to suppress this so you might see less Community spread, not no, and that's another thing. I, I, it amazes me how much in this hysteria you have to clarify what you mean. Less does not mean none, right? It, mitigate does not mean eliminate. Right. Like these two, those are not the same. Like similes and analogies. Like we should have all learned this in third grade. Apparently, the government schools are worse than I thought. But it, it, it does seem like there's less <laughs> community cluster spread. The warmer and wetter a climate is. I sent you a. Uh, you know, instead of some ass clown on the internet like me writing an article based on assumptions, a well done, well put together study 
showing a correlation, and correlation is not always causation, but a strong correlation of community spread clusters along a very similar climate path, including you know South Korea, Wuhan, China, New York City, Seattle, Washington, Milan, Italy, like it's very, and then the absence of significant clustered community spread in much warmer climates. So we have it in the Philippines, but you'd kind of expect it to be a bigger problem there, considering a quarter million Filipinos work in China and travel back to the Philippines regularly. Like, you would expect their numbers to be at least beyond what they are. Like, it does seem that there is something to that. What, what do you think about that? Well, absolutely. I, there, there are country or there are diseases rather that are pretty much uh based upon the kind of climate that you have and also some of them that are just based on well the degree of latitude for example dengue fever if you're eligible if you're between 35 uh degrees north and 35 degrees south of latitude but pretty much that's that's it so if you you are beyond that you're not going to get dengue fever in a Uh, for example, New York or Montreal or or uh, down in uh, uh, the bottom of the southern part of Chile. So these are uh, these diseases oftentimes pick a lo a type of location, a type of climate that is most beneficial to its to its growth. And even at that time, they there are waxing and waning that occur. Well, seasonal flu uh, obviously is a Uh, late fall to early spring disease. It's not something that is usually a big issue in the middle of summer, right? Yeah, absolutely. So for my end, you know, I I have good reason to believe that if this acts if this acts like flu, uh, if it acts like previous coronaviruses, it's going to uh, wane as time goes uh, goes on and the weather gets warmer. Uh, Unfortunately, right now we're in the initial ascending part of the bell curve, and so it's going to be a pretty high slope. If you look at the at what the graph is going to, what I predict the graph is going to look like, and it's going to be like that, you know, for at least a good couple a good couple of months before before it wanes. And so, what our job is, is to flatten the curve. So we want to flatten the curve of that bell curve because if We don't. If we didn't institute some of these protective measures that we have that the government has instituted, although some of them seem sort of draconian, uh, what happens is if there were no protective measures done, we would wind up getting a lot of cases very quickly. And because of the seven percent serious and critical rate, then we would we could possibly overwhelm our intensive care unit beds. There are probably about 170 thousand intensive care unit beds in the United States. But the problem is that 80% of them are occupied at any one time, right? That people have heart attacks, people have major surgeries and, you know, all sorts of other issues that wind up causing them to uh, have to use an ICU bed. So we have about 20% of 170,000, what is that? 30, about 34,000 uh, ICU beds. And as long as we can keep the number of Flatten the curve, flatten that bell curve, and keep that upper limit below the level of hospital care capacity. Then the uh, outbreak itself is going to last longer, but 
will be more manageable and less people will die. If we don't institute protective measures, then we're going to have to do what they're doing and uh, what I say they're doing. I have no proof of this. Well, I, I noticed that in the Netherlands and other countries in Europe and France, that most of the people that are on ventilators are less than 50 years old. Now, that's not because nobody there that's over 65 is getting sick and getting very sick, but they're making decisions as to who gets the ventilator. Yeah, and I, I actually re I'm really worried about Europe. And I'm worried about Europe because it seems to me in some ways that they're instituting less controls than we are. And they seem just resolved to like, I mean, Merkel came out and said she expects 60% of Germans to get coronavirus. 60%. Now, I mean, that doesn't sound like a plan to me. That sounds like a acceptance, if, if that makes sense. Right. This is, uh, you know, the, it's almost like the uh, five stages of, uh, of, of death, you know, where, where you have to go through grief, the right grief, that's it, where you have yeah. to, you, you go through denial and you try to bargain and, and, and she's, at, she's at acceptance. Now, the problem, the problem, that means, and like a lot of countries that probably have social, socialized medicine, I re, I don't know if that's the case in Germany, by the way, but they, make decisions as to who gets the important care. I mean, the, the care that actually is going to make a difference. And so what you're going to have is a bunch of, uh, what you have probably right now in France and ne Netherlands, a lot of places in Europe, is a lot of old folks that have COVID and are doing very badly. They just stick a nasal cannula in and give them a little oxygen. And they take the 40-year-olds, the 30-year-olds that, that are seriously ill, and they put them on the ventilators because they, they figure, and they're right in a sense that, you know, those people have more years to live than, than somebody at 75 and in the exact same physical condition, you know, or, or physical state that uh, those younger people are in. So that's something that we want to avoid in this country at like we want to avoid that like the plague and that's why all of these measures are being done to try to flatten the curve so that it never gets beyond the hospital capacity uh, or the ventilator capacity in this country and we have some we have some abilities that I don't know if they don't have them or they're not using them we have the ability for instance to have basically a mash hospital set up outside of a, a major hospital in Seattle or outside of an airport really really quickly we, that nobody should take that as we can handle anything that happens that's again it, it may, how much clarification i've had to do that doesn't mean we can handle anything that does mean that we have some level of mobile like what we would call like a mobile bursty surge capacity that these other nations either don't have or they're not deploying and i think one of the reasons is i said earlier that good news is being spun as bad news and bad news spun as good news and that really bugs me So an example of that, leaving this for a second, would be all the school closures. Like, everybody, the schools get closed, everybody freaks out. Like, I would be freaked out if we didn't do that. And that stems from some other misinformation, and that is kids don't get this. I don't think it's kids don't get this. I think, I think kids are, like, 90% or more likely to have asymptomatic coronavirus, which makes them great little vectors to take the disease home to mom and dad, who then give it to grandma and grandpa. And so by closing the schools, right. closing the schools, you're, 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 is exactly what we need to be doing right now, 
And hopefully in conjunction with these warmer months coming, you get a, a magnified flattening of the spread. And the same thing with like closing bars and going to only takeout and stuff like that. You want to support your local restaurant? Order something, go pick it up from your, you know, they'll bring it out to your car or whatever. I, I'm all for supporting them. But getting people out of these big rooms and confined spaces, you know, where everybody's running their mouth and yelling and spitting on each other is the, the best thing we can do. And it seems like it's being spun as signs of dread, where it's actually like, this is exactly what we should be doing. Yes. Now, listen, before, before you go on to anything else, I want people to, I want your listeners to, Understand exactly what you were saying about school closure. Okay. Keeping the you said it, but you, you went pretty fast there. Okay. So I just want to make people absorb this. You have said that keeping the kids at home are protecting the older folks. They're not protecting necessarily older kids because most of the in almost all cases the kids are getting very mild or even asymptomatic asymptomatic infections but they're coming home and they're infecting grandpa and they're infecting grandma and so what the purpose of the school closures believe it or not is to save older people in the end whether they say it's for that purpose or not but that's what the end effect is Also, you said something about you talked about a, a facil resources that we may have that are not being used. Indeed, we have a strategic national stockpile, and right now there are 43 million face masks in that strategic national stockpile. Now, guess what? When it comes down to push and shove, and they say everybody should wear a face mask, you're not going to get any of those face masks. Those are going to go to Well, these resources, to put it very simply, are that the government puts together is not to help you, the average citizen. It is to maintain the continuity of the government. And what that means is that they want, of course, you can't have a nation without a government, but basically anything that they say that they're putting together to stockpile Most of that is never going to be seen by you. It might be seen by medical workers, and that's a good thing, uh, but it, it is most definitely not just going to go to the average citizen. There are not going to be trucks coming by and handing out boxes of face masks. And uh, Ironically, other nations have done exactly that. Uh, Mongolia. That's not what's going to happen. No, here. I understand I that. Ir I'm just saying, ironically, when we look at the... Because my kind of my next question is, what are we learning from other countries? I think, one, we are learning something about... And again, it seems like there's a denial of this. We are learning something about its ability to spread in warmer climates. If you look at southern Chinese provinces closer toward the subtropics, if you look at um, places like Thailand, uh, Bangladesh, etc., they're having, and they're very close, and they're having less spread. Uh, but we're also seeing like nations like South Korea, man, they got hit, but they hammered this shit fast. They tested, they quarantined, they isolated. Like We are not on it like that. No, I will tell you that I've been following South Korea versus Italy, and these people started having outbreaks at the same time, and already South Korea is on the descending end of the bell curve, whereas Italy is just still still wildly out of control. And so I think that this has a lot to do with the existing medical infrastructure. It could have to do with a number of other 
other things. I have there's anecdotal evidence that they're using uh, uh, certain medicines like uh, the chloroquine, the anti-malarial drug uh, in South Korea. They're not using it in Italy, and there seems to be a much lower death rate. Some people have claimed that that's the reason. Other people say it's a bunch of hooey. But uh, but there are differences between what's going on with South Korea and it, in Italy, for example. And we need to really study what's going on in South Korea, and just see if it's a matter of latitude or climate or 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 just a more organized medical infrastructure. I'm sure that uh, it's multifactorial, but those are at least some of the things that I believe that are uh, involved. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I also would say that there is, and this doesn't just like mitigate it to the point of forget about it, but there is some issues with Italy that seem to be making the death rate higher and the problem worse. Number one, they have a lot more people over 80 per population than we do in a lot of other countries. They've got a, a very aged population. Their smoking rate is like 24% versus 14 in the United States. They greet each other by kissing each other all the time. Yes, I, I'm, I was about just that about is like... Come on. And then on top of it, I don't know if you've seen any of the videos, but this might be an example of the first time we can actually demonstrate virtue signaling killing people. Back when Trump issued the travel ban from China, which I think is the single best decision he's made in this so far, um, Italy did not. They made a big point about not doing it, that it was xenophobic, whatever, as though viruses care. And there were viral videos of Italians running around hugging Chinese people in masks because they are a person, not a virus. All of this <laughs> seems very bad to me, like a very bad idea. And maybe they shouldn't be doing things like that. This is how this is how it, the, this is the difference between what's going on in Italy, where everybody's touchy feely. Thirty five hundred ninety new cases in the last twenty four hours. South Korea, which uh, I bet there are not a lot of people hugging and kissing over there, 76 new cases. Hmm. By the way, five new, only five new cases reported in China in the last 24 hours. They are now at the very bottom, getting close to the bottom of their bell curve. And so it just shows that this is one of the, this is something that is going to run its course. And, uh, this too shall pass. That's what I, if that was the one thing I have to tell people is that they must realize that this too is going to pass. And how how well we do in terms of, of deaths and total number of cases or in total number of people that really get sick uh, over the course of time is going to – it really depends on some of the things that uh, – actions that we take. And the more aggressive we are with those actions, the more likely we're going to – Keep it below that that flattened keep keep that flattened curve. It's going to last longer the 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 total outbreak, but we'll have less deaths and it won't be ridiculous. Three hundred and sixty eight deaths alone in Italy just in the last twenty four hours. Yeah, yeah, and again, I said Italy. I I think is not going to. I don't. I unfortunately do not think will be South Korea. I fortunately don't think we'll be Italy. I think we're going to be somewhere in between that. And the more, and, but I, I, I think the best news, other than this too shall pass, is that the individual has a great deal of control as to how much risk they take and to how much risk they cause. Both of those things. Because 
if you are, like right now, it's not the time to be arrogant because you're 24 and in good health. Because yeah, you're fine. 99.9% chance, because there are some young people that get serious complications from this, but 99% chance, you know, you're going to be fine. However, how many people could you spread it to by being an ass clown right now where it's, it's very easy to take some reasonable precautions? And I know we all get sick of hearing sneeze into your sleeve and wash your hands, but that plus some social distancing is probably the best thing that any individual can do for themselves and for others right now. That's why so many large cities like uh, Chicago are closing bars, not because they're preventing they, – they want to prevent all the 77-year-olds <laughs> from going to bars, but because of all the young people that go to bars and then leave, leave the bar and go home where they, <laughs> where they have to live with their, their folks still and you know, they're, they wind up infecting older folks. Boy, you know, you just hit on something there about Italy, too, though. I think we have a lot more multi-generational households in Italy than we do in the United States. I agree. I don't know how it works in uh, South Korea. Uh, that It would be interesting to see if there's a lot of that going on. I do know that the living space for places like South Korea and Japan, the average person lives in a, a 700 square feet or less uh, domicile, so... Uh, it'd be interesting to know how many people they can fit in there, or if, or if that's a common thing to have the grandparents living with uh, the rest of the family. What would you say that the average person should do for themselves right now? Like, like you know, if you had a five point plan or whatever, um, as far as taking care of themselves. Well, it's all very simple, and that you've heard it a million times. You know, you just need to wash your hands very carefully. And you have to do it throughout the day. Anybody that's not walking around with hand sanitizer in their pocket is probably not doing the right thing. You gotta have to have hand sanitizer and you have to use it frequently during the day. Then the number of times, things that you're supposed to use hand sanitizer or, or wash your hands with soap and water before and after are, are <laughs> myriad. You, you've got to do it before. Uh, preparing food, after preparing food, before eating. Uh, some people say after eating, certainly after using the restroom, uh, after contacting anyone who might possibly be sick or has a possibility of being sick. Essentially, I'm washing my hands like 20 times a day. And uh, it's, believe it or not, not considered to be excessive. <laughs> and are you, it, when it, you say it, that, are you spending much time away from home right now at all? Or are you doing that staying home? I am. Actually, I'm spending time away from home, but only in, I'm, I'm only either at home or at the magical, mystical warehouse of mystery that, uh, of Amy's. Okay. Where I, I, if you guys are ordering kits from, uh, our store at doomaboom.net, you're getting them packed by a lot of them are being packed by yours truly so you got you have a board certified uh surgeon packing your medical kits because uh, we are we are just swamped i mean people are beginning to realize that uh it probably would have been a good idea to be medically prepared and uh hopefully i mean if if there's a lesson that we may learn from this is that we may instill a, a culture of preparedness uh much more effectively now than we ever have before because people are actually going through uh, life-changing events here. I mean, the, their their daily life, the daily life of the average citizen is now being changed 
because of the closing of schools and because of the closing of uh, public places. Uh, you know, they want they want to can't go to see uh, you know a ball game, things like that. There's so much that's happening that's affecting the fabric of the society. You know, I think people are going to get the idea at one point or another, at least people that have a brain, that are going to get the idea that maybe it's a good idea to be more prepared for things that might happen because things indeed might happen. You know, this is actually my, my biggest concern right now is not the next two months. My biggest concern is what I consider a 50-50 coin toss for this, this coming fall. And... I expect as inconvenient and as bad as all this will be, it to be less than what people expect. And I'm going to do something I don't usually do. I'm going to defend the authorities and the media here for a second. I do believe they are going overboard. But I believe they're going overboard, not because they're wonderful, lily-white people, but I do believe with some level of good intention. And that is the intention is to get compliance. right? Because a lot of what needs to happen here is voluntary. You can say this area is under lockdown or whatever, but this is the United States of America. It's a big country. There's a limit to what anybody can do. Getting people to wash their hands is voluntary. Getting people to say, do not go to an old folks home right now is voluntary. Getting people to actually keep their kids at home or out of large groups when they're not in school is voluntary. All of this stuff is voluntary. So by taking it to the absolute limit with, ah, I think you get more compliance, and I think that might be on some level designed in. However, you can get cry-wolf syndrome from this. And I think some of the apathy about this is because of how many times wolf has been cried in the past. I can list a dozen diseases that were going to kill us all over the last 16 years, a dozen, that were way over the top with, and so people are just like, I, I've seen this movie, and this is a little different. My biggest concern is we get the best case scenario out of this fast flattening of the curve rapid control even if there's a problem it's a problem that most people don't really see as a problem and then does this do what many covid or not covid coronaviruses have done in the past and kind of just die out or does it come back and if it comes back in round two and people feel like this was all over the top The apathy in round two could be really bad, and that's where you could end up with us looking more like Wuhan, China, than than South Korea. W what do you think about that? Well, I think that the uh, uh, SARS-CoV-2 is going to become uh, a cyclical, seasonal virus. I don't. I, you're absolutely right when you're pre when you predict that. Uh, we have once this is over it's not that we've seen the last of it I believe it's going to become one of those things like the flu that it, it has its season comes by and it, it does whatever damage it's going to do based upon the particular mutation uh, that that is circulating or mutations that are circulating that year and it's going to be uh, you're going to hear on TV hey it's corona season did you get your shot yet hmm. But that's the thing. There is there, what we have to deal with right now is particularly bad because we don't have any any option. There's not a not a treatment. There's not a cure as of yet. There are a lot a number of promising things and uh, think, believe it or not, I think things are going at a pretty pretty rapid pace for 
what research, how research goes. Usually it takes a couple of years, two or three years, took two or three years to get a, a an Ebola vaccine that was relatively uh, effective. And whatever treatment that c- comes out, either another anti-inflammatory, an antiviral drug like Tamiflu is for the flu, maybe they'll have one that might be the usable for uh, coronavirus. These things are going to be coming out and hopefully will mitigate uh, the the effects of future um, coronavirus arrivals. But but right now I'm I don't see it as something that will ever really completely go away. I I just think that it's going to be something that's that will turn out to be a seasonal thing, just like the flu. So let's talk about, I want to kind of transition to some of the myths right now, and this is a good leaping off point to that. And if I'm not a doctor, so if I get this wrong, please correct me. But one of the conspiracy theories I'm seeing, and it's all it could be is a conspiracy theory um, when, you, when you read it, but most of this stuff is based on a fact that we twist, right? So the, the idea of a vaccine is preposterous. And the reason that the idea of a vaccine is preposterous is because people get a coronavirus, cycle through it, and can get a reinfection. Did Sorry you, about that. Did you just die? That was <laughs> No, anyway, so... I, I, I had another computer on, and it just sometimes they just decide to put an ad on. Okay, so anyway, uh, that's if you t- put, turn those porn sites off, man, I'm telling you. Anyway, so... <laughs> so you know, that, that, that you can't make a vaccine for a coronavirus because reinfection is possible. And you hit on this earlier. You're talking about a, a, a messenger RNA situation going on, which is different than a DNA-based virus. And what they've done to fast-track these vaccines into trials, to me, and again, I'm not a doctor, but to me it looks very similar to what's being done with cancer where they're actually now taking uh, tumor cells out of a patient and they're training their immune system to attack that thing. And then they put it back into that person. And that way, if the cancer metastasizes, as long as it's the same cancer to another part of the body, the immune system is now like, it recognizes it as bad. So instead of a, what we think, and this is where like semi-informed results in ignorant extrapolation the way they think of a virus is what we all learned in school about something like polio or smallpox. You use the, uh, the, the virus itself to create a situation where antibodies are produced, where what they're doing here is more like training the host's body to know this thing and attack it. Is that reasonable? Well, I think that that's something that is it, – it certainly – it's certainly a, a, a avenue that they'll take uh, if they can possibly do that. But I think they're going to wind up also trying to do whatever they can to enhance it. Now, this could be involved. This could involve bioengineering. It, uh, is that what you're talking about? Well, it is bioengineering, but it's bio bioengineering to that end. So the the vaccine that's currently already been fast tracked was, in my understanding, done in conjunction with the Israelis and was actually based on something out of avian coronavirus and a vaccine they were working on for chickens, right? And then, mm-hmm. like, so then you take this and you kind of fast-track that, and it is definitely a bioengineering where you're actually creating a thing that looks like the virus to the body 
and it encodes the body, and it's, it basically encodes your immune system to say, this is the thing you're looking for, and this thing must be destroyed. This thing must be attacked. So rather than a conferred immunity, uh, i.e., if you get smallpox, you don't get it again, it's more that you've now switched the immune system to know this invader. Where right now, part of why this thing goes so far is it hits your body and your body doesn't necessarily decide to do anything about it right away. It doesn't get on the job quickly, kind of like our government. And it advances, and then by the time it does, you can have a hyperimmune response, you can have a cytokine storm, you can have all of these different things that lead to these really bad complications, ventilators, etc. And that this, the way this vaccine is being developed and other versions thereof are all using some version of this messenger RNA engineering where they're actually training the immune system versus, so it's almost like a synthetic virus. I don't like to use that word because then a whole new tin hat world opens up. And, and to me, that is, I actually think you're looking at the future of vaccines. You're looking at the future of cancer treatment. Like that's, that's what this is. And this has been, it seems really fast, but it's actually been going on for a long time. That this is not new, it's a new application of existing technology. Well, I think basically I have, uh, I have an, a chapter in a book that I'm writing on uh, viral threats that asks the question, are there good viruses? And so mm. what they may do is they may try to get some, some particular type of virus, engineer a virus that is similar to what we're, what you're actually talking about in the similar to maybe the, the, the current virus and have that as something that they inoculate people with, but it doesn't have the ability to, it has the ability to form, to cause antibodies to be formed, but it does not have quite uh, the ill effect that Obviously, the the uh, COVID nineteen has so uh, these are things that are happening all the time. I think that there will also be um, Tamiflu like treatments that will not cure. I don't think that will cure these things, the virus, but will make the virus less of an issue in terms of how long you're sick and how and how sick you become and how many people how end up on ventilators. Like if you come up with for, that therapy, and for every one person that doesn't go on a ventilator, somebody else can. Exactly right, and so you, the old folks will be back on the ventilators like uh, like they should be, and and the young folks won't be getting quite as sick. And the amount of time that you downtime you may have, are is going to be less, and we'll just have to see. Yeah. Now I think from the way you just described that, they're like a good virus, a uh, less you know a, a virus that <laughs> triggers it. That's exactly what they say they're doing, but they're, it's not what they're saying. Right, And again, I'm not a doctor, but I, I'm pretty good at reading comprehension. From what I've read of these developments, it's basically a dummy virus. It's not even a virus. It looks like a virus to the body. Now, I can't explain that. Um, I do know that if you put something out like that and it's total rubbish in, in you know, the, the, the bioengineering community, that you're likely to get ripped to shreds in peer review. Now, that might take a little while, but some of the shit that came out, like in Australia, immediately did get ripped to shreds. So that gives me some encouragement that people are not necessarily holding their tongue. I think the big takeaway, though, is what you're talking about with therapies are way more important right now in a practical stance than the best case scenario with a vaccine is you're looking at next winter. 
Right. I, and that's the thing. I think that they're, they're looking at a number of different things that I think may make, make sense for this to use in this outbreak because there's still a lot of countries that have to take their turn. Everybody, every country is going to have its outbreak. And some of these, you know, in the southern hemisphere, some of this is going to happen in the midst of our summer. Yes. Right. And it's going to be the southern hemisphere's turn after we're done. So uh, basically anything that we can do that just makes things better uh, and and safer. Well, honestly, is, you know, that that's what's going to happen first, because I think it's going to be easier to find something like that than to find something that's just going to prevent it for the rest of your life because coronaviruses just don't work that way. I mean, you can get coronavirus again and again and again and again. Uh, and that's, that's what happens, what, what they think happens with the coronavirus that causes the common cold. I mean, you, you may get an immunity for a very short time, but by the time the, ne the next uh, cold season comes around, you can get the same thing. And that's for multiple things. That includes mutation, because it's just not the same. Like, we call it a clade in, in the world of the flu. I don't know if they call it the same thing in the world of coronaviruses, but it's that same type of, well, exactly which one. Like, which one are you getting? Which gonna Because that's what they do at the flu shot every year. They guess at the most likely candidate, because you can't inoculate somebody for everything, right? You can only, you have to pick your poison, so to say. Um So yeah, right. they don't they don't uh, vaccine uh, vaccinate you against uh, dengue fever or, or things like that. Uh, you know, if you're not in an area that commonly gets outbreaks of that. But I'm even saying with flu, like the flu shot this year might be for like, and I don't even know, I didn't pay attention, but like let's say let's say it was H1N3, right? Um, they're not going to do the flu shot for H1N1 unless that's the one they expect this season. But I guess right. the other side of that is. When people get a coronavirus, let's say, you know, um, COVID SARS-2, and, and I think the way they – I honestly feel like they have that nomenclature logically backwards, and that's what's causing confusion. Because SARS is a secure acute respiratory, right? And calling the, 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 the acute respiratory people COVID-19 and calling everybody SARS just seems freaking logically twisted to me, and it, it seems like it's what caused the confusion there. Um, but if you get one of those, whatever you want to call it, even if you can get it again, while you may not be immune, the body has dealt with it before, and it, I think it is more equipped from an immune standpoint to deal with it compared to someone that's got it for the first time. That's why if you look at every country, no matter how good or bad they handled it, the initial death rate was stupid. And people freaked out. You know, It was like 17% or something like that, or 24%. And it immediately drops, and every graph with the recovery and um, the you know total infection rate has this weird kind of triangular thing it does where they cross and then come back out the other side. And they all have this huge high death rate at the beginning. And to me, that is the people that we know have it are the people with the severe cases, but it's also the people that are most susceptible get it first. And I You're believe everybody has some immunity... Not everybody. Lots of people have some immunity to this. Even though it's new, it's still similar to other things they've had. Sure. If you've had a, possibly a coronavirus cold, common cold, you've had been exposed to something that is in the same family. And so that, that, is, that is a possibility. And, of course, uh, if you are exposed to something in which you have never, never been exposed to 
in the past, not even some re- some relative, well, then that's where the, the problems really occur. And one example of that is the first European explorers. They they were exposed for generations, centuries, really, to smallpox. But they arrive in the w- new world, and and it killed a percentage kills a percentage of of these Europeans, you know, uh, as as the in, in the population a certain percentage every year. But the pop the percentage that die are actually pretty small. They show up on the shores of North America. And in some areas, 90% of the Native American population is wiped out. While we were gone, by the way, we kind of showed up, did a little bit, had two little colonies, didn't do much. Pretty much we disappeared. Then we came back for real. And in that lull was when they all died. Like they came back and there were like supposed to be these big, you know, Indian towns, basically, you know, villages. And there was nobody there. Right. Because that's because of the... Go ahead. I was just saying, I mean, it was like a, it was like it. I don't see some people want to always make every, especially today, everything's virtue signaling, everything's we're bad people, whatever. I, I it, but it was like a germ warfare, but it was inadvertent. Like no one really understood that until after the fact. And I think even then, there's accounts of people going like, "Where the hell did everybody go?" Like they didn't understand where everybody went. Well, this is this is a, a concept that we explain using the uh, what they call a basic reproduction number or the R naught, and the R naught number is the number of people that get infected when you drop one infected individual into a population that has never seen the the disease, the virus, or or whatever disease we're talking about, and the R naught for some diseases like the common uh, the flu. Seasonal flu is about 1.28, and so you know it, it's you know, there's an outbreak. There's a good number of people that get it, but uh, you know it doesn't it doesn't do a lot of killing. However, with things like measles, you wind up getting for every per- person you put in there, each they wind up getting uh, 12 or 18 people actually infected. And when that happens, you know they. Each one of those 18 people wind up infecting another 18 people, and so it just is an entire an entire nation that winds up getting sick. Can we kind of finish up here talking about some myths? Because I've spent, like I said, a lot of energy dispelling myths, and I, I like having doctors do it because they have more credibility with it. Um, one of the things I've always said over the years, and I've taken some heat from this from people that are, you know, I don't know, see themselves purely scientific is that you can make a difference in immunity with supplementation, but it does, that does not mean that you can make thing, make yourself immune because you take vitamin C. I don't see it that way, but I think that a person deficient in key nutrients has more susceptibility to infection and maybe has uh, greater impact if infected than someone who isn't. There are actually, uh, some some maps that I looked at of selenium deficient soils in China and not this virus but other virus outbreaks that almost mimic that map of selenium deficiency. So I've been saying things like a good multivitamin, maybe a little extra vitamin C. Um, we'll get into concertin in a second, but there's some promising research with that out of Canada from a doctor that did a lot of research in the original SARS outbreak. Um, but then this spins, like I said, most myths seem to be based on a small fact twisted into an exaggeration. So I don't know if you – did you get the email I sent you that said basically if you ate two Brazil nuts a day, you were immune to COVID? Uh, if you ate two what? 
Two Brazil nuts. Obviously, you didn't get the email. Oh, Brazil. I, 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 no, I forwarded I it to you. Maybe it got filtered out because it was so spammy. So somebody sent me this. I've seen this a bunch. So since selenium is something that does help support immune immune system, it, it does, right? There's scientific back studies that say this is a thing. Then it's the scammers immediately take that and go, or sometimes it's not scammers. It's the stupid or the scammers take that to the extreme. So what's going around now is the secret to not get COVID is eat two Brazil nuts a day because there's enough selenium in there and you'll never get COVID. Like, when you hear stuff like that, shouldn't you just immediately discount it even if there is some underlying small truth and, and, and seek your truth elsewhere? I I never discount the possibility of anything being uh, having an effect. The question is whether it has a significant effect And does it affect every, does it give, give a benefit to everyone? These are things that I think honestly, uh, you know, it's, it's really hard to, hard to say, especially you're, you're dealing with an entirely new disease. And since you're, you're dealing with an entirely new virus, you, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's time for us to say, well, you know, a selenium supplement here is going to work. Well, uh, because we haven't done studies to see whether any of this stuff has worked. This is and with COVID-19. It's gotcha. a new virus. It's a new virus. So we don't know much of anything. I, I don't know if I can completely kill uh, COVID-19 off my uh, underwear if I put it in the washing machine and, and, and the dryer on heat. I mean, I don't know. Nobody knows. No one knows, but you have reasonable scientific expectation that that would be the case because it has been the case with just about every coronavirus that we've ever seen. Well, let's hope that that's the case, but that you're assuming that that isn't what's going to happen. And indeed, in a lot of cases, it will be very, very similar. SARS, probably that, that virus is, is similar in a lot of ways to SARS-CoV-2. And so, yes, I understand that, but... To, to just assume it is probably not something that you should probably just assume. See, and so my take with supplementation is, well, should I be taking supplements? Well, yes, but I always do. Right? So, well, like, and, and what I've learned from working with uh, another doctor is that when you actually test people's um, nutrient levels with blood tests, laboratory analysis, most people are deficient in something. And people say, well, if you eat a well-balanced diet, well, most people don't. So to me, taking basic supplementation, that's that's like people right now are going, should I store some food? Well, yeah, but you should always store some. You see what I'm saying? Like the, the, these steps, while possibly beneficial and, and having no real downside, shouldn't give people an artificial sense of security, but you should probably be doing them anyway. Well, are you talking about an individual supplement of one thing like no, zinc? No, you're talking about a general multi. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, yeah. I, I think any, I think everybody would agree that it's never a bad idea to have multivitamins. I mean, I, uh, if you think about it, in if we were in a situation where uh, we were knocked off the grid, and if you happen to have a supply of multivitamins, even if you took them once a week, you probably would be less likely to get scurvy than than your neighbor, right? Yeah, and I, I, I do believe, based on the stuff that I've read, again, from, like, JAMA and things like that, The Lancet, that there is some evidence that nutritional supplementation does – it doesn't – 
charge the immune. Like it doesn't like make your immune system a super immune system. A deficiency makes you more susceptible, thereby removing the deficiency brings you back to par, if that makes sense, versus makes you invulnerable. Because I think the other side of this is the belief that, you know, oh, I take, uh, you know, 5,000 milligrams of vitamin C every day until my pee smells like orange, and then all of a sudden I'm not <laughs> going to get coronavirus. Well, that it just goes to show that people don't really understand a lot about how vitamins are metabolized. Now, for example, vitamin C... With regards to with regards to vitamin C, if you take about more than about 500 milligrams a, a day, or maybe maybe a little bit more than that, you excrete the remainder in your urine. Absolutely, absolutely. So here's an here's a uh, another one of the many internet myths. This one, uh, I will prepare you in advance. You you know at your advanced age, you could have a heart attack when you hear this one because it's so ridiculous. That okay. if every 15 minutes you take a sip of water, you won't get coronavirus. Yeah. Have you yeah, heard, heard that one? That you heard that one? Times. I've heard it yesterday, and I heard it the day before and, and, and <laughs> and, in and different the, places. The reasoning was, uh, is it will wash it out of your mouth down into your stomach acid. Please explain how stupid that is. That's ridiculous because what happens is that once you have the virus in your nasal cavity or in your uh, oral cavity, basically it goes right in through the mucous membranes right there. And there you have all – and, and – By the time you get the wa get water in there, it is already well inside your body. And also, uh, most of the, many times it's a it's an airborne right airborne uh, um, spread is yeah. one of the ways that you spread it. You you breathed it in, and so unless you're you're sipping water through your nose, then you're definitely not going to have any benefit from it. It it, it is true that gastric acid you know is is not good for viruses. They usually don't survive it, but That it, They don't get it there. It absorbs well before. It, it absorbs well before, and and very quickly before you uh, uh, wind up getting it down to the stomach. Yeah, I, there, and there there is just a ton of stuff like this coming out right now. Another one is supposedly I sent you this email too. I don't know if it got eaten by your spam filter or what have you, but it was supposedly from a doctor in Japan or Taiwan or something like that. It said to basically take a deep breath every day and hold it for 10 seconds and see if you cough. Because yeah, that also did you read that? Yeah, that there's no, nothing, nothing like that says anything. I have, I, I, I can tell you that by personal experience. Like, they actually did did that with my father back in the '90s after he had a stroke, and they they would do deep breathing yeah. type uh, exercises for him, and uh, uh, you know he was he wound up dying of an of a pneumonia. <laughs> uh, like a lot of people with strokes, and, and and that's after every day doing these you know deep breathing exercises. Well, this was diagnostic. That's how stupid this was. That basically oh. the damage that happens to your lungs during when the immune system basically turns on itself and attacks your lung lining. And it was some bullshit about you know it's too, by the time you go to the hospital it's too late. You need to identify it early. Blah, blah blah. And if you hold your breath and you start coughing, you should go to the ER and say, hey, I think I have you know COVID or whatever. Um, And that if you didn't cough, then you were good. Okay. And, and yeah. it just, I mean, like, and there was, an, like, there was another, there was part two to that. Part one was so stupid, my brain hurt, so I didn't read part two. But I'm just trying to get across to people that all these things that you're seeing like that just don't. Just, it, you know, it's a 5G, that's the other, I don't know if you heard that, it's a 5G bioweapon. 
It's not a real virus. Right. It's caused by 5G technology, which is barely deployed, by the way. Like, and not, there's not even any real 5G fully deployed yet. Uh, there's just so much of this. Another thing I dealt with early on was people emailing me. There are people falling over in the streets left and right in China. There's thousands dying a day. There's, um, there's incinerators. Incinerators running. It's creating sulfuric gas clouds. And here's a map showing that, and it ended up being a weather map. Like, that kind of stuff is not helping us at all here. No, it's basically you have a lot of people that feed off of getting people excited, uh, you know, and, and if, even sometimes in the media you'll hear that there's that old saying, uh, if it bleeds, it leads hmm. as a news story. So, uh, anything, anything that can, uh, show that people are, are dying and, and that things are going way, way out of control or really feeds into a certain part of the population that just loves that kind of stuff. What is your assessment of the decision by the Trump administration to close travel from Europe now and from China a month ago? Was that were those it, good decisions? Absolutely, absolutely appropriate, good, strong decisions. In uh, in 2014, I wrote an article uh, demanding a travel ban, you know, from West Africa. And that was for a much less contagious disease uh, than than uh, that. That was for Ebola, not for not for coronavirus. And it was just considered. I, I lost like uh, 300 uh, Twitter followers, and it was huh. considered. You know, I was you're racist, mean spirit, mean spirited, and you know, racist. And you know, this is a terrible thing to do. And uh, and you know, some people just uh, just considered me to be, you know, a racist, uh, you know, as just for saying that. And it turned out that it, it's it's actually makes a lot of sense. Now, it doesn't didn't stop an outbreak in the United States. I don't know if that was their plan intention, but it did give us time to be more more prepared than we were at the very beginning. That I would say it did stop an outbreak because uh, half a dozen cases does not make an outbreak. Right. Well, what what happens is is eventually, eventually, you you just can't quarantine the world. You can't Correct. quarantine yourself from the world. People, even when they quarantined Wuhan, and this is an authoritarian government, you know, there's still five, four or five million people that managed to escape the quarantine. Not not just residents of Wuhan, but people that were visiting it for sure. the lunar uh, lunar New Year. That uh, or the Chinese New Year that they have, so they were they have, even even without a lot of notice and even without um, the usual restrictions that a free government puts on uh, enforcement. Uh, there still there were still millions of people that got out of Wuhan, and some of those obviously had uh, uh, COVID and spread it to the rest of the country, and I guess eventually to the rest this of the, the world. world. If you were like somehow like the stars aligned in a really evil way and you were made president of the United States right now and you took over, are there any other places that you would lock down travel from right now? I would lock down the entire country. Nobody in. Nobody in. Okay. So I, I, I mean, and I, and it sounds again mean, mean spirited, and I guess I'm just a son of a son of a sea dog, but. Uh, you know, the, to be honest, you know, the, the more you can isolate yourself from this, the more likely that, I, and, and I don't 
I don't pretend to think that I'd be able to stop things completely. I mean, we have porous borders just in general. And so, uh, I believe that eventually you would have an outbreak, but I think we would flatten the curve so much that we would have a longer outbreak with, but be able to handle it with the existing medical resources. I think one thing I would point to that is good about what's going on right now is two things. One, we are flattening the flu the same way we're flattening COVID. So you talked about the occupation of hospital beds. Some of those hospital beds are traditionally occupied with people with severe complications from influenza. There's going to be less of those because of this. And the flu season, we know, is coming to an end. So even right. if the, the COVID goes longer, at least we're back to dealing with one instead of two here. That's true. Well, you know, back, uh, a lot of people that have the flu, especially old, old folks, uh, wind up on ventilators themselves with secondary, uh, sometimes bacterial pneumonias. And they, as a matter of fact, they call pneumonia the uh, old man's friend because yep. it, it ends their suffering. Can you tell me or tell everybody here where – Because we do have like antibiotic shortages, they're saying now, and like how that fits in. Let's kind of wrap up with that. And of course, you've written a book on antibiotics uh, for grid down medicine, et cetera. Yeah, uh, yeah. We actually, the funny thing you mentioned, that just yesterday we our our book Alden's Antibiotics and Infectious Disease won the 2020 Book Excellence Award in the medical category. So we're, we're very proud of that book and uh, uh, antibiotics. Obviously, will not cure viruses, but uh, you'll find that a lot of people that wind up on ventilators end up with hospital-based infections that are commonly some kind of weird bacteria, and so they do wind up getting antibiotics as well. Do people tend to get secondary infections with a viral infection as well? Do Like, let's uh, say somebody's self-quarantining at home, like, is there a risk of a bacterial infection on top of a COVID or flu or whatever? Any, anybody who gets the flu or who gets COVID has a chance of becoming a severe case. And, you know, it, it happens more often in older folks. And when that happens, yes, the, the chances of viral, of a pneumonia are higher. I think that the pneumonia, however, in COVID-19 is a viral pneumonia that kills okay. you. Okay. So there is a difference between the flu and the flu. I think a, a higher percentage of those people that die from the flu die because of a secondary bacterial pneumonia. I think this viral this is a viral pneumonia by itself. Well, I'll, I'll make sure I have links in the show notes today to your site and to your book. Is there anything else you kind of want to let people know about that you have available right now? Uh, well, I have uh, keep an eye out for my book, uh, Alton's Pandemic Preparedness Handbook. Uh, It's going to be uh, essentially all about viral threats, and basically my uh, antibiotic book that you have right now. If don't don't buy it if you're just interested in the viral aspect of it, because this is uh, a layman's guide to available antibacterials for austere settings. So this is uh, the current book is mostly about bacterial disease, but uh, we'll be having some uh, a book come out soon that specifically deals with how to deal with uh, viral pandemics. All right, Bones. Well, hey, I appreciate you being with us today and bringing some sanity to this world. I think that the, the thing that people should have your biggest takeaways, and you add anything I leave out, number one, you have a huge amount of control over how much risk you take and how much risk you confer to others. 
no matter how much we don't like the TV and the authorities, what they're telling you right now to do is probably a good idea. Uh, and number two is this will pass. That this is not the end of this is not the end of all creation. It, it's it's not a dry run to take over the whole country with martial law and round us up in FEMA camps. It's a disease, and diseases have a history of hitting mankind. And the good news is we do know what it is. We do know how to mitigate it. And we do have awareness that in some of these past situations, we did not have. To paraphrase the Bible, and you will hear of, uh, hear of pandemics and rumors of pandemics, but be not alarmed, for the end is not yet. <laughs> All right. Well, once again, thank you for being with us today, and uh, we will catch up with you again. Uh, probably going to have more questions for you for expert counsel this week. Well, thanks, Jack. I appreciate it. All right, good stuff uh, there from Doc Bones. Um, I just wanted to uh, to bring some other stuff uh, up here at the end. And uh, stuff you heard today, stuff you've obviously heard elsewhere, uh, but things that I think need to maybe be said one more time at this current time as to what you can do. Uh, number one, stay home when you can. Just Just don't go places you don't need to go to right now. And again, it's less about protecting yourself and more about not contributing to the problem. As we keep saying, we want to flatten the curve. Number two, wash and sanitize your hands frequently. I know that you get tired of hearing about it. I know that they could probably take the, the advice that they're giving on TV, put in a 15-minute loop, uh, add new whatever they have for that day, new to it once a day, and no one would even notice the difference. Um, but it really is the number one thing that you can do. Three, live a healthy life. You know, Use a, a basic multi. I, Doc even agrees with that. Go outside. Uh, I do believe Q-Certain is probably one of the more promising immune boosters. Uh, again, there's some really promising work uh, from a doctor who, who did you know, real, you know, an, you know, real scientific level work uh, on, on the original SARS uh, problem. Uh, get exercise. Move. If you, if you drink a lot. Cut drinking. Cut your bad habits, even if you're going to go back to them. Cut them for right now. Um, be in the best health that you can be. Number four, lose weight. Um, I guess I've lost 50 pounds-ish, maybe a little bit more than that in, in, the, in the past uh, seven months. Uh, I was shocked at how much that reduces my risk of major complications should I actually uh, contract COVID. And there's, there's some reasons I won't go into today, but it, uh, excessive weight is another huge risk factor with uh, the COVID virus. Uh, and next, um, buy a little more than you need when you do get out, but, but don't hoard. There's no need for hoarding right now, especially things like bottled water and stuff. Don't go buying stuff you don't need and putting more stress on population. Somebody may actually need the stuff that you don't need. Um, and I think I said six, uh, skip number five. Stay away from at-risk populations. In addition to the general concept of, of don't go in places where you don't have to go, um, if you have older people in your life, et cetera, just stay away from them. I, I know it sucks. Uh, make sure that they're saw to or whatever, but in general, don't. it's not a good time to go visit your your uh, elderly parents at the old folks' home or, or what have you. I understand that you want to, and don't just think about them. Think about all the other people that are there. Uh, next, stop posting pictures of em empty shelves. This isn't helping anything. And the people that are doing it, some of them are doing it innocently. Some of the people are doing it to try to, to get more business, etc. Please stop doing this. Uh, I'm, I'm watching people specifically, in some instances, find the empty shelf. And then posting it as though that's the entire store. Please stop doing that. Uh, number eight, we talked about a few of them, but there's a bunch of them. Uh, don't believe scams. 
Don't share scams and do discredit them. Two Brazil nuts a day is not going to protect you from coronavirus. Supplemental selenium is not a bad idea, but it's not going to make you immune to, to coronavirus. Not being deficient in selenium will, will keep you from being more susceptible. That's how these supplements work in the real world. Uh, next, if you're sick at all, stay the hell home, period. If you get sick, if you're running a fever, if you, it could be the flu, it could be a rotavirus, it could be anything. Odds are right now, if you're sick, it's not coronavirus, but it could be. Stay the hell home, and if you're going to get tested, you know, unless you're really sick, don't worry about it. And if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're looking to be tested because you're concerned, your symptoms are getting worse, I think you're going to get the opportunity to get tested with a drive, drive-through test pretty damn quick. Um, if you want to order food, do to-goes and takeouts. Buy from small businesses via mail order, uh, etc. cetera. Uh, screw the airlines. Don't worry. People are going to we should have some people go somewhere. Screw the airlines. They're going to get a bailout. The airlines will get bailed out. You buying one more ticket this month and going somewhere you don't need to go will not help. Um, you worry about small businesses and do business with them in a socially responsible way right now. Uh, number 11, turn the news off at times. Again, they could be running a single 15-minute loop and update it once a day, and you wouldn't even notice the difference. If you're constantly pushing this into yourself, you're doing more harm to yourself with stress than, than the risk of the virus itself. Uh, in the end, it's still a relatively no, low number of people in the United States that, that are, that are going to get this thing percentage-wise. Uh, next, make the best of it. Don't panic. This too shall pass, and warm weather, in my opinion, will help flatten the curve. And I want to be clear when I'm talking about the warm weather thing. I'm not saying it's going, it's going to warm up next week and the whole thing's going to go away. It's not what I mean. I mean it's a mitigating factor in the situation. And everything that I have read on it, everything I've looked at, including uh, some pretty detailed studies, and what I mentioned with Bones, I have uh, that study in the show notes today so you can take a look on it. And I even have a backup of it, of the PDF, on one of my servers because for some reason a link has seemed to give people uh, some trouble at times. Um, but, but in the end, when... This was analyzed uh, very thoroughly by a doctor out of uh, Maryland uh, with the areas with the highest propensity of community spread. It, it is absolutely the case that there seems to be a correlation to temperature uh, and humidity relative to lower temperatures, uh, 5 to 11 degrees Celsius. Um, it's pretty cold. And if you look at like Seoul, South Korea at this time of year, uh, exactly there, Wuhan, uh, et cetera, uh, Seattle, Washington, New York City, et cetera. I'm not saying that you know, it gets warm, it's all just going to go away immediately. I do think it will help with the situation. I think most people looking at it honestly at this point that aren't trying to scare you tend to agree with that as well. Again, this too shall pass. So with that, we've, we, we've wrapped up another episode and uh, want to remind you, and since everybody's doing it anyway, there's a lot of uh, ways you can help this show out, but one is do your online shopping at tspaz.com. Whenever you're going to buy something online, by doing that, you help us even without spending any a penny more than you were going to anyway. The item of the day today, I won't go into uh, deeply, but I, I brought it up just because I've got a lot of questions about it recently. It is the Nesco uh, electric pressure canner. And if you're sitting there, a long-time listener, you might be going, Nesco? He means the shard carry canner. Uh, this this brand's doing it no, no, self no favors with the constant name-changing, but... Shard was the original 
pressure canner that I've recommended for years, the electric pressure canner. And then it, it, it was rebranded as the Carry model. So it was a Shard Carry, then it was Carry. And Shard and Carry are the same company. Think of them like uh, General Motors and Chevrolet. Well, Nesco eventually bought out that whole operation and put their name on this. It's the same one. So the one there's some there's some ones out there from old inventory that still say Shard and Carry on them because people really liked them. They're selling for like 250 bucks. Um, the Nesco is the exact same canner. It's exactly the same. They changed the name on it only, uh, and it's 125 bucks and available. So I brought it around today, not so much because it's a good time to get an electric canning. I brought it around because I'm getting questions about are they the same? They are. Remember, you can help us anytime you shop online by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. Brings us to our song of the day today. The song of the day today is by Green Day, and Green Day is kind of like, kind of sort of punk, but not all the way punk. And that's because they changed their sound a little bit so that they could actually be successful in the world of modern music. This song's about that and about how the punk community basically threw them out. 86th is like getting thrown out or getting killed to be 86th, right? That's what they're talking about. The year uh, 1986, but being 86th from the punk community. And all that says to me, because w what they actually said, there were people that literally said that if they saw them, they would attack them on site for selling out into mainstream music. There are people that just don't want you to be successful, folks. Don't worry about them. Those people running their mouths, they ain't attacking nobody. And uh, Green Day, I, I don't think they can give two shits about those people at this point, uh, given the success that they have. With that, has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. <laughs>